Well, good morning, good morning, Fellowship Greenville. Thank you so much for being here. Well, not here, but here this morning. It is such a joy to be here with you. My name is Matt Dinsky. I'm the student ministry pastor here at Fellowship. And anytime I get a chance to be here on Sunday, it is such a joy. And I'm delighted to be here with you on Mother's Day. That's right, today is Mother's Day, and we just want to celebrate all the moms out there. So moms, grandmothers, great-grandmothers, and even uh, there's tons of women who operate and act as motherly figures in the lives of so many. They may not be biological, but they are certainly a mother in their presence and love, and we want to celebrate all of them as well. Moms, thank you for all you do to hold it down and spread the love. Uh, You guys are just amazing and we wanna celebrate you and thank you. And while today is a day for celebrating, it's also a day in which we are grieving. We're grieving with one mother in particular. Most of you guys I'm sure are probably aware by now this past week, story has been circulating about a young man in the state of Georgia who was targeted due to the color of his skin. 26 years ago, he was born on Mother's Day. And so while today is a day of celebrating, his mother, Wanda Cooper-Jones, we are grieving and mourning with you. Words go so very short in times like these. And while the clearest path uh, forward is, is not obvious, what I do know to be sure is ignorance or silence cannot be the way. And we as a church community and we as people of Jesus are grieving and mourning and we're so sorry. Things like hatred and racism have no place in the kingdom of God. They're far from the heart of Jesus. And things like a hunger for justice and advocacy for the oppressed don't come peripheral to the kingdom of Jesus. They are central to the kingdom of Jesus. You see this modeled by him as he was an advocate for so many and a champion for the marginalized and the oppressed. This is the way of Jesus and certainly should be our way as well. Wanda Cooper-Jones, we are sorry for your loss and it is our loss as well. It's our loss as a culture and as a people that these things still happen. A few years ago, I heard Dr. Bernice King, the daughter of the late Martin Luther King Jr., say at a, at a conference I was at, I, I heard her say, hatred did not kill my father, indifference did. And I was so struck by her words. As people of Jesus, as people of the kingdom, which is inclusive, as people of the kingdom, which uh, paves the way with love, as 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 people of Jesus, we cannot be indifferent, but we must have a voice in this, and it's a voice of love, and it's a hunger for for justice and reconciliation.
And so I want to encourage us and invite us into a time of prayer to celebrate moms, but also to reflect on the current events of our culture and to invite Jesus into the center of this, invite his kingdom and his reconciliation and his ways into our heart as we move forward. Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you, and we do celebrate all the moms out there. The scriptures put such a highlight on your mother, uh, your earthly mother, and Jesus, we certainly want to put a highlight on moms. We celebrate them. We love them. We, they have been influencers in our lives and shaped us to who we are. Jesus, we also want to invite you into this time in our country and culture. We are broken. The fact that this event happened two months ago and didn't surface until recently reveals the fact of how broken we are. Your way is love. Your kingdom is inclusive. Jesus, may we be a people who have a passion and a hunger for, for justice and to see, to see the world be made right through the presence of Jesus and the power of the gospel. We grieve and we mourn with Wanda Cooper-Jones. Jesus, we need you. We are at such a loss of words but not a loss of emotions. We are hurting and we are broken and we need you. And we would pray and invite you into the work of reconciliation and help us see what our part is in that. Jesus, we ask these things in your name. Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning again. Uh, I would like to welcome you guys. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, for the past few months, we've been going through the Gospel of John. We've been going through John's book and, and looking at it verse by verse and uh, learning so much as we pull out all these great truths. Today, we're going to pause on that. We're, we're going to take a time out. And I love, I love it when Jim and Charlie give me these kind of one-offs. Hey, teach on whatever you want to teach on. And a few months ago, I started talking with Jim and Charlie about uh, what this Sunday could be. And I got to be honest, we landed on the idea and, and I'm, I'm excited about the idea, but I have to begin this morning with confession. I have to just go ahead and get it out here on the table. I feel completely inadequate to talk to you this morning about what I want to talk about. And it's not because of a, a lack of knowledge, it's because of a lack of application. Like, I have to confess, I have to get this off my chest, that, like, I was, I was thinking, I was reflecting on every sermon I've ever preached, and I was asking myself the question, have I ever taught on something that I apply so little to my life? And I think the answer is no. I am in the process, very much in the process of learning how to apply what I want to talk about this morning, and I am awful at it. Jesus has showered me with much grace. He has lavished me over and over, just gobs of grace, because I get this wrong so often. And I'm learning, learning how to begin to apply this. So I'm very much in the process. And I know in your minds right now, you're thinking, oh man, what is he about to drop? Like, this is about to be a bombshell. Like, here's a pastor confessing he doesn't apply this, he doesn't do a good job. I want to talk this morning about the concept, you ready for it? About the concept of rest. I know, shocking, right? You're probably at home, you're like, 
wah, wah. Like, that's not very exciting. That's not that big of a deal, Matt. That's not really, I didn't think you were going there. I get it. I get it. But see, that's been my problem. That's been my problem ever since I started walking with Jesus, is my view of rest was so minimal. It was so minimized in its importance and value and the rhythms and flows of my life. I have not considered it that big of a deal. I have not valued it. I have not prioritized it. I have not carved out time. I have not created rhythms. I have not practiced this. My rest in my life, I don't know about you, but my rest has been random. Like if I rest, if I have a day off or whatever, it has been random. It's not planned. It's, it's reactive. It's like, oh, I just find myself with, with a chunk of time. That's great. Wow. Let me, okay, let's rest. But I don't plan it. I don't carve it out. It's not a discipline. And what I've learned after walking with Jesus now uh, since 2003, what I've learned is my soul is getting tired. It's not just my body. Like my body began to I began to notice things in my body when I turned 30 a few years ago, and I started, my eyes started to go bad, my knees started to go bad, right? I'm not talking about my body. This is not just physical rest. I'm talking about my soul. This is a spiritual rest. My soul is tired. And I would ask the question this morning, is yours? Is your soul tired? I mean, haven't you ever noticed that you can have a day and maybe it's even happened during this uh, time of quarantine, but you can have a day where you're just like on the couch, in your sweats, you know, eating some Ben and Jerry's ice cream, binge watching shows on Netflix or Disney Plus or whatever you're doing. You can just have the most lounge day ever. And then at the end of the day, you feel more tired than you did at the beginning. You guys ever noticed that? It's not because you were active it's because those things weren't filling your soul. There's, there's something in our wiring. You don't just need physical rest. There's a soul rest that God has created us to have. And I am confessing, I don't do a good job of this. I haven't done a good job of this. I'm trying to learn what it means and I'm inviting Jesus into this process. But I'm telling you, my soul is tired. And I would ask the question, is yours? And maybe you don't know, maybe you've never even thought about that question, but this morning I would invite us into that frame of thinking. And so I wanna start this morning with a passage of scripture. This is out of Matthew chapter 11. Jesus has began his public ministry. He's uh, teaching, he's teaching many things. Jesus uh, was not the most popular with the religious leaders of his day. He ruffled their feathers. He, he introduced way too many different things that, that kind of uh, contradicted their ways of going about uh, the kingdom of God or thinking about God or, or whatever. And Jesus ruffled their feathers. They were not a fan of his. There were so many things they disliked him for. And Jesus is about to teach here on a, on a very specific idea. And this is probably what they hated him for the most. He's about to teach on rest and Sabbath. In fact, his interaction with the Sabbath, the way he handles the Sabbath and does things on the Sabbath was the gateway to the cross. It was so many interactions on the Sabbath and what he said and what he did that further uh, threw the gasoline on the fire of their hatred for Jesus and they plotted his murder so many Sabbaths because they would leave the, the scene and decide to go kill him and, and then plot and toil about how they would do it. 
And so Matthew chapter 11, he's teaching, and he's teaching on this concept of rest and Sabbath. Verse 28, Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus says this. Come to me. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, come to me. Everybody who works and toils and feels so weighed down by this life and world. Is that you? I mean, have you ever just had one of those sobering moments where you're like, what am I doing? My life is so busy. I'm always on the move. I'm always in a hurry. Where is my rest? Where is my reprieve? Where, where am I going to stop Is your soul tired? Jesus is giving this invitation to tired souls. Come to me, which is a beautiful invitation. And even that we can get twisted. Well, I can't come to Jesus until I get stuff figured out. I got to clean myself up. I got to sort this. I got to, I got to stop cussing so much. I got to stop smoking. I can't come to church. I can't be around those holy people. I got to, I got to clean myself up before I come to Jesus. Jesus is saying none of that. The invitation is simply to come If you're tired in soul and you feel heavy and burdened, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, or in other words, attach yourself to my load. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. There's a key phrase there, learn from me, my rhythms, my ways, how I approached life, learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So Jesus is is talking about a spiritual rest. He doesn't say, come to me, all who are tired, and man, I know the best coupon code for Serta mattress discounts. Man, I can get you 50% off. He's not talking about physical rest, although that'd be awesome. He's talking about spiritual if you feel weighed down by this world, if you feel beaten up and heavy, if you feel loaded down by the pressures, come to me. I'll give your soul rest. Verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Attach yourself to me, take on my load, I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I mean, don't you find it odd that in relatively one of the most safe generations we've ever had, it is statistically a generation that struggles more with anxiety and depression and loneliness than any generation prior. We are, we are one of the most relatively safe generations or places, and yet we're not resting. Something in our soul is not working right. The, the way of life as we're doing it is not conducive to the way of life that God designed. Something is disconnected. In the most connected uh, generation this world has ever known, where the world is literally at your fingertips, we are more connected than ever. Loneliness is on the rise. Don't you find it interesting that our souls are not finding rest in the ways of the world? Man, haven't you ever just had those days? 
Something's not right in my soul. It's, it's in turmoil, it's stirred up, and I am not resting. I don't feel God's presence. I don't feel, I don't feel his comfort. I don't feel his calm. I'm there. My soul is tired, is yours. What does it look like to come to Jesus? What does it look like to learn from him, as he says, to take his load? Well, Matthew, immediately following Jesus' teaching here, has two stories about Sabbath, and that's no accident. Jesus is teaching about rest, and then Matthew begins to talk about Sabbath right after this. Sabbath is a biblical concept, and I think we have to pause here real quick and zoom out and just really understand Sabbath as a biblical concept and the the overview of it. Sabbath is a day that God has intended for us to rest. The religious leaders of Jesus's day, the Pharisees, desired so strongly to uphold the Sabbath that they decided, let's put some protective measures around the concept of Sabbath. And they created 39 Let me repeat that, 39 additional rules about Sabbath. That included how far you could walk, what you could carry, how you could spit, true story. They they included 39 rules to act as a fence or a protective perimeter so that people could keep Sabbath. The problem with that is it became so burdensome to uphold all these other rules that were peripheral to the central rule that no one even kept the central rule. No one can obey Sabbath when you have 39 other things going on to try to help you obey Sabbath. And so people's souls were tired. They were heavy. They did not feel a sense of rest and connection with God. And then here comes Jesus and says, hey, if anyone's tired of soul, come to me. Man, I'll give you rest. My load is different. I don't have 39 rules here. My load is easy. My load is light. Come to me, I'll give you rest. It's a beautiful invitation. Matthew follows it up with two stories about the Sabbath. The Pharisees hated, detested, and despised Jesus because of how he taught and operated on the Sabbath. So let's zoom out. What's the biblical view of Sabbath? Well, we first see Sabbath as an example. In the book of Genesis, chapter two, verses two and three, we see Sabbath as an example. God is creating. He's creating everything we know. The plants, the animals, the birds, the sky, the waters, the land, the sun, stars, planets, moon, everything. He's creating. He creates people. He does this in six days. And then on the seventh day, he rests. He rests, which is really interesting because it's God. It's God. God is all powerful. He didn't run out of energy. It's not like God was up in heaven like, whoo, that was tough. Somebody give me a holy hammock. I got to rest. He's not, he's not tired. God did not rest because he was exhausted, he rested out of satisfaction. He looked at what he was made and he's delighting in it. He looks at what he's made and he says, it's good, it's very good. I'm gonna rest. So we first see rest as an example. God rests because he's satisfied with what he's done. 
So he's delighting in this day. Genesis chapter two, verse three says that God has blessed this day and made it holy. Some very interesting language going on there. Because when you bless something, when you bless someone with something, you're giving a gift. A blessing is a gift. It's something you give to someone. So he blessed the Sabbath day saying, this is a gift for you. Pause. How many of us view the Sabbath day as a gift? Because I'll be honest, I have viewed it as an inconvenience that gets in the way of my rhythms because I'm trying to get some stuff done. But it's a gift. He blessed it. It's a gift. And he made it holy. And this is, this is really interesting because to make something holy means to set it apart. To make it distinctly different from other things like it. So he actually removed this, this special day from circulation. He removed it from the other days. These days are normal. These six days you work, you do whatever you want to do, but this I'm removing. I'm setting it apart. It's a special day. It's a holy day. And so the Sabbath is a gift that is given. And how is it a gift? By removing it, by taking. God has removed it from the normalcy of the other days. It is meant to be a unique day, a special day, a restful day. The Pharisees had made it a burden. Pharisees had made it something impossible to engage with. Jesus says, man, if you're tired, I'll give you rest. So we see it as an example. And then eventually we see it become a rule. So God leads his people out of slavery in Egypt uh, with the Exodus. He's got Moses appointed as the leader of his people. And there's this uh, story where the people are crossing the wilderness. They're hungry. God makes bread rain from heaven. It's called manna. And God instructs them, hey, gather bread every day. And on the sixth day, gather twice as much as you need because on the seventh, I don't want you to gather anything. I want you to rest. I just want you to enjoy the day. Kick back, have fun, spend time with friends and family, invite them over. Gather on the sixth day. I don't want you to worry about work on the seventh. Delight in the day. People didn't get it right. They didn't trust God. And that's really what Sabbath is, right? It's an invitation to trust. That God, you will provide what I need even if I'm not working on this seventh day. It's an invitation to trust. It's an invitation to depend on God. God, I can't create for myself everything I need, but you can. It's an act of faith. That's really what Sabbath is. It's an act of faith. People didn't have faith, so they gathered bread on the seventh day. And eventually, it was no longer a suggestion, but a rule. God makes it the fourth commandment in the 10 commandments in Exodus chapter 20, uh, verses eight, and, uh, eight through 11, the Sabbath becomes a commandment. Now it's interesting. If you look at the 10 commandments, the first four deal with our relationship with God and the latter six deal with our relationship with other people, which is why Jesus could rightly say, hey, the entirety of the law can be summed up like this, love God and love others. I mean, that's what the Ten Commandments were all about. But the Sabbath is the fourth commandment, and it's the bridge commandment. In other words, it connects all the commandments about our relationship with God and all the commandments about our relationship with people. And I don't think that's by accident. In fact, what I've noticed about myself is if I'm not resting well, my relationship with God is out of sorts and my relationship with others becomes out of sorts. Here's how I know I'm not resting well. If I feel distant from God, 
if I'm not prioritizing time to be in his word or prayer, if, 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 if it's just like, yeah, I'll get around to it. Like, I know it's important. I, I know I need to do it. It's how I commune with the Father. But if it's not a priority, I can tell I'm, I'm not resting well because my mind's not in the right place. If I'm complaining more often, if I have a comparative worldview, if I'm looking at things or others around me and, and even dipping into envy and, and wishing that I had some of those realities for myself, I can tell I'm not resting well. If I'm grumpier than usual, if I'm angry in all the wrong ways, if I'm irritable, I'm not resting well. How does it apply to my relationship with others? If I'm graceless towards others, if I forget that everybody is in a learning process, God has lavished me with grace, I can have grace. If I'm graceless, if I'm short, if I'm rude, if I don't have time to be present in the moment, if I'm always thinking about what's coming next, if I'm not listening well, if I'm more prone to arguing, if I'm more prone to being abrasive, if it's not as much of a priority to me to uh, follow up with someone, I can tell I'm not resting well. See, I think rest is this connecting force between our relationship with God and our relationship with others. You were created to rest. Did you know that? That's how God has woven it into creation. Everything needs rest. Your body and your soul. But my soul is tired. Is yours. And then fast forward a few thousand years, it moves from rule to now it becomes a rhythm. It becomes a rhythm. And you see this played out in the life of Jesus. Jesus, we believe, is God in the flesh. God with skin on, and he walks among us. And Jesus models to us what a perfect harmony and rhythm of rest look like. And it got him in trouble with the religious leaders. Jesus was known for being alone with the father. The disciples would wake up and they would look for Jesus. Man, where is this guy? And they would discover he's off alone with the father. Was Jesus busy at times? Yes. And I want you to hear me. This is not a message that busyness is bad. You're gonna be busy. You'll have seasons of busy. If anyone had the right to say, man, I'm busy. It was God in the flesh inaugurating the kingdom of God to earth, initiating a new covenant with his people. Like he was busy. There were days the scriptures say that he didn't even have time to eat. He or his disciples didn't even have time to eat. They were doing ministry all day and all night. Jesus was busy. But I have found in my life, it's not that, I'm, it's not that I am doing bad things or wrong things. I'm just doing too many things. And Jesus modeled what rhythm looks like. Days and moments and seasons of busyness and then retreating to be with the Father. There's a rhythm, there's an ebb and flow. Jesus fulfilled the entire Mosaic law. He honored the Sabbath perfectly. He didn't come to do away with the law. In fact, Jesus says, no, I've come to fulfill it. And so the amazing thing about the new covenant, about our belief in Jesus, is that through our belief in Jesus, his fulfillment of the Old Testament law becomes our fulfillment of the Old Testament law. His righteousness becomes ours and we have fulfilled the requirements of the Old Testament law due to our faith in Jesus Christ. 
And furthermore, he's inaugurated a new covenant, which supersedes the old covenant. Like we're no longer under the law of Moses. We're under the law of grace, the new covenant of Jesus. And so then the question on the table is, well, wait a minute, Matt. So then is the Sabbath still a rule for me today? Is it still a rule? Like, isn't that what you're talking about? Like all this rest, is, is Sabbath still a rule? Well, it's interesting, you never see Jesus teach specifically about the Sabbath as he does other commandments from the Old Testament and the moral, the moral uh, laws. But you see him live it out differently. In fact, that's what got him in trouble the most. And so here's what I would say. As you study the, the New Testament, the question, is Sabbath a rule for us today as a part of the covenant we're in, the, 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 the fellowship, the relationship that we're in with, with God? I would say, no. And I know you think, well, then what, what are we even talking? If it's not a rule, why are we talking about it? Here's what I, look, look. It, is, it, it is not a rule of the covenant, but I would offer it is very much still a rule of life. It's how God has created things. You need rest, body and soul. You have a temporary shell, that's your body. You have an eternal essence, that's your soul. Both need rest. So Paul clarifies this. Paul gets into some of this because as the gospel spread and moved from Jews to Gentiles, the Gentiles were wondering the same thing. Hey, we want to believe in Jesus, but this whole day, this like Sabbath observance, do we need to do that? Like, do we need to create that in our rhythm? Because we've never done that before. And Paul says, no, you don't need to do that. So in Romans 14, there's this division about eating meat and about the Sabbath. And Paul explains, he says, listen, some of you esteem one day as better than others. And some of you see every day as equal. That's fine. Whatever your conscience decides there, if it helps you honor God and worship God, that's great. Do it. But he's referring to, to a law of covenant. He's like, man, Jews, if you still want to obey the Sabbath, go for it. Gentiles, if you don't feel like you need to, as a rule of covenant, don't do it. Colossians chapter two, he says, the Sabbath, among other things, were shadows pointing to the substance, the real thing, who is Jesus. So Jesus has fulfilled the Sabbath. And furthermore, Jesus is our Sabbath. Jesus is our ultimate rest, which comes back to our invitation in Matthew. Come to me and I will give you rest for your souls. I fulfill the requirements of the Sabbath and I am rest, which I think is why he uses such beautiful language in John chapter 15. Remain in me and I'll remain in you. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Attach to me. Apart from me, you can't do anything. You have no life apart from me. But when the vines are attached to the branch, you are receiving life from me. Remain in me. Abide in me. Jesus is our ultimate rest. So is it a rule of the covenant? No. In, in other words, like you don't see Sabbath spelled out in the new covenant like you did in the old Jesus is our ultimate rest, but is it a rule of life? Yes, because how God created us to function has not changed in the new covenant. We still need rest, both body and soul.
And I'm confessing this morning, I am so bad at rest. And my soul is tired. It's tired. I wish I could say that I wish I could say I wasn't struggling with it. I wish I could say, man, you know, ever since I started following Jesus, I've understood its emphasis and importance, and man, I've really made it a priority, and I just haven't. And God has given me so many wake-up calls along the journey. In his grace, he has given me so many wake-up calls along the journey. And my response, I just move them aside, shove them off, ignore them, overlook them. So here's what God has done for me. I, I, I don't know about you, but I carry stress in my body. Like maybe you wake up every morning, you're like, oh, what a great day. Let's serve Jesus and, and go feed the poor. That's awesome. I'm not there. I wake up thinking about things. I have to physically discipline myself to, to find the rest and peace that comes through knowing Jesus and that God is a generous God who takes care of me and I can lean into that and I don't have to use today's strength to carry tomorrow's load and I can be present in today. But it, it's a discipline, it's a, it's a rhythm I have to get into. I carry stress in my body. God has tried to wake me up so many times. You would think I'd listen, but I don't. I've got lots of back problems, lots of back problems. I carry a lot of stress in my shoulders and I carry a lot of stress in my lower back. I have been through years of chiropractic treatment and active release therapy and so on and so forth. Uh, had an MRI done considering surgery, had three bulging discs at one point. Why? I mean, there were some things to trigger those. I mean, some, some sports related injuries and stuff like that. But the fact is I just overlooked them. I ignored them. It's like, ah, I can plow through. I'll be fine. Two years ago, I was in the hospital for seven days because I got an infection in my arm and I was septic. You'd think that would have been a wake-up call. And yeah, you know, like the infection came from bacteria and things like that. But the fact is, I was so exhausted at the point that I got it because of everything that I was doing that my body didn't have any energy to even try to fight it off. And you'd think I'd come out of the hospital like, I got to make some changes. And I didn't. My wife and I are pretty sure I've got ulcers. I don't know what it feels like when you eat food, but when I eat food, like 15, 20 minutes later, my stomach's killing me. When I drink coffee, which, I, I, man, y'all pray for me because I'm not sure I can give up coffee, but when I drink coffee, my stomach hurts. And you'd think I'd listen, hey, maybe I'm stressed out a little too much and I'm developing holes in my stomach. But no, I just keep plowing forward. I don't rest. It's not a priority for me. I think that I'm just this infinite reserve of energy and stamina. And that is not how God has created us to be. Both body and soul have to slow down in his presence. A year ago, I wrote this note. I want to share uh, something I wrote with you guys. It's not very long. It's, uh, I mean, literally it's a a sticky note, just a small piece of paper, not very much on it at all. I like to journal. journal journaling helps me reflect and think. Sometimes, though, I, I just have to dish my thoughts out quick. So if there's a scrap of paper, I'll just write them and that's it. It just helps me process. And this one time, the sticky note was laying out. This was June 23rd, 2019. Here's what I wrote. 
Jesus, I do not know what I am doing. You ever been there? (laughs) Just like sobering moment. I don't know what I'm doing. And this note is not about life and it's not about uh, my placement here at fellowship. I love fellowship. This, This is simply about me processing me, like my efficiency in ministry. I said, Jesus, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't wanna be here, like in this moment here. Like just, I just, I just wish I knew what I was doing. I feel ineffective. I feel like my voice has grown out of reach. Is there something else you have for me or is, your, is it for me to remain here? And that's it, that's all I wrote. Not very long, not very profound, but that's what I was processing. June 23rd, the week prior to this, I was overseas on an international mission trip with a bunch of our students here from Fellowship Greenville. Beautiful trip, amazing time, but I, was, I came back emotionally depleted and exhausted. That morning, my wife and my family and I, my wife and my boys and I, we went and we met a friend that we hadn't seen in five years. We had brunch with her and it was great, but I was relationally depleted. I just didn't have it. The following day, so this was Saturday that I wrote this, Sunday, my family and I would fly out to Colorado for a week to go visit a ministry out there, not on a vacation, but like a a work thing. And I was, I could be honest, I didn't know how I was gonna do it. I just hit this place of like, gee, I don't know what I'm doing. What am I even doing here? See, it's not that I was doing bad things, wrong things. I was just doing too many things. My wife, when we got back from Colorado, my wife found this note because I just left it out on the countertop. She found it. Uh, she, she glanced at it, read it. She saw that it began with Jesus. She's like, oh, my husband's praying. He wrote a prayer. That's so sweet. She, she read it. She found me that night. She said, Matt, are you okay? I said, no. And you would have think that would have been the wake-up call, but it, it wasn't. I'm not good at resting. My soul is tired. It's been the past two months. The past two months is when it's really hit home. I came to Lauren, my wife, my sweetheart. I came to her a couple of months ago and I said, babe, I just can't do it anymore. I can't go this hard or this fast. I'm not that young anymore. I, 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 my priorities are not what they used to be. I, I want to be more present with you and the boys and the family, I can't do the rhythm and the pace that we've been doing it. I said, we've got to make a day in the week that we carve out and that we protect and that we make it just our day. For the sake of my soul, I need this. And so we did, two months ago we did. And hear me, this is nothing profound, but here's what we did. We said, Saturday's gonna be our day. We wake up every Saturday and we start the day off with some kind of food, cinnamon rolls, cookies, donuts from Dunkin', we'll go get them. Uh, we just start it with some kind of food. We enjoy and delight in the food. And then all morning we just play together. The agenda is set really by whatever my boys feel like doing. My oldest is four, my youngest is almost two. Whatever they feel like doing, that's the agenda. That's the cadence, that's the rhythm. We just are fully present in the moment, undistracted by what we had planned or what's coming next or what's this, what's that. We just enjoy one another. And when the boys go down for their nap time, then it's, it's great. Maybe, maybe my wife and I take a nap or maybe I read a little bit or, or just go outside and, and be in creation and meditate on how good the father is and just be in his presence or, or whatever. Maybe, maybe it, 
I'll express myself through some art project. I don't know. Sometimes I dabble in painting, whatever it is. It's just, it's freedom. Do what fills your tank right now. When the boys wake up, we play some more. And then every Saturday evening for the past two months, we've gone to Chick-fil-A, we've gotten food, we bring it back home, we set out blankets all over the living room floor and we have a picnic on the floor while we watch a movie, some kind of Disney or Pixar movie, and it's been great. And you know the language that my oldest son has been using? Daddy family day is the best. And you know the language I've been using? Family day is the best. Because it rests my soul. It's so simple, but I have found it so hard to actually do. Almost 30 years ago, two spiritual giants in our world were talking, one by the name of John Ortberg and the other by the name of Dallas Willard. John Ortberg was serving at a megachurch in Chicago at the time, loads of responsibility on his shoulders, loads of pressure. Dallas Willard um, is just this brilliant philosopher, Christian. John Ortberg, John Orberg calls Dallas Willard seeking advice and he says, hey, basically asks him, what do I need to do to become the best version of myself? Long pause, long silence on the other end. And then finally, Dallas Willard says, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. John Orberg hears it on the other end. You know, he's, he jots it down. Ruthlessly eliminate, hurry from my life. Okay, that's great. What, what else? What else you got? What's next? What's next? <laughs> Dallas Willis says, no, no, no. That's it, man. That's it. Hurry is the great enemy of our spirituality and you must ruthlessly eliminate it. I mean, this is 25 years ago, man, way ahead of his time. If I were to ask you, hey, in our culture today, what is the great nemesis of our spirituality and our communion with the Father? Would hurry be the answer? In his recent book, John Mark Comer says three things cannot exist. In, in, in his recent book, uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, John Mark Comer says three things cannot exist when you're in a hurry, love, peace, and joy. Paul begins love in 1 Corinthians 13 with love is patient. You can't love when you're in a hurry. They're, they're incompatible. Peace, when you're in a hurry, you're not settled. You're anxious, you're worried. What's coming next? What's coming next? Joy, you're not in the moment. You're not focused on the now. You're not reflecting on the goodness. See, it's not that busyness is what's wrong. It's hurry. And our country and culture prides itself on being in a hurry. We celebrate it. We applaud it. We award it. A number of years ago, I was sitting in a meeting, room, room full of executives at this, at this, in this organization, and they were reflecting on a guy who, who was in his 70s and just retired. He, he worked 50-something years, and here's what they said about him. Man, he just retired. Can you believe that in his entire career, he never took a day off? The whole room just applauded. Ah! And I just sat there and I thought, man, I wonder if his wife is applauding right now. I wonder if his kids are applauding that. Or I wonder if they just wish he was a little more present. Our culture rewards workaholism and hurry, like they're staple parts. And if anyone has the audacity to say, hey, maybe we should slow down, it's weird. 
But this is what the Sabbath is all about. It's all about a slowdown. Is it a rule of the covenant? No, but it's a rule of life. Our ultimate rest is in the presence of Jesus, but the rhythm of rest is still applicable. So I would say every day we're abiding in Jesus. That's the rhythm. And I would even suggest every week we should have a ritual of rest and that's the Sabbath. And the Sabbath is not some dull and boring thing that's meant to hinder us or slow us down or make us more unproductive. It's a day in which we're meant to delight in the goodness. That's what God modeled in Genesis. I'm delighting. It's a day for our enjoyment, a guilt-free day in which we cease from work and we're fully present in the day. The Sabbath was never intended to be a day where you come to church on Sunday and you go home and you knock out yard projects and house projects and the to-do list that you're catching up on because you didn't have time in the week. You're in a hurry and so am I. That's my MO, by the way. But that's not rest for your soul The Sabbath is meant to be a day of delight, to spend time with friends and family, filling your soul with the presence of Jesus, doing things that that you enjoy, that bring pleasure. It's meant to to focus on, on your kids. It's meant to focus on your spouse. It's meant to focus on yourself. Set up the hammock, take a nap, be in God's presence. Do what fills your tank and delight in the goodness of God. It should be oriented around food. There should be some splurging going on. If you're married, there should be some intimacy happening. This is Sabbath. It's how our soul is filled. It is meant to be a day that is set aside. It's a gift by removing. It's meant to be a day given to us, which is set aside. It's different than every other day in which we delight in God and the goodness of our lives. Guilt-free, distraction-free, fully present in the moment. And here's what I found over the past two months. My soul is finding life. Now, Jesus is my ultimate rest. But my soul is finding life through the ritual of rest that my wife and I have created. Is your soul tired? Does it need rest? Would you be willing to create a ritual which further invites you into the intimate presence of Jesus and feed your soul with goodness and delight. My hope and my prayer for you is you would say, yes, I need that. Fellowship Greenville, we love you, bless you. Hope you have a great day.